Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Over the last four Sundays, including this morning, we've uh, considered the prophetic declaration of Yahweh through Isaiah regarding the coming of a man-child who would be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. That prophecy, is, as Chuck said this morning, is in a, a wider framed prophecy that goes actually from Isaiah 7 through Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 7, Yahweh is speaking to Ahaz through Isaiah, Isaiah to go speak to King Ahaz, because Judah was being um, attacked by Syria in Israel, northern Israel, and, um, and they were all concerned. And so Yahweh wanted to show his, his favor and his faithfulness to, to Judah. And he sends Isaiah to Ahaz and he says, listen, just trust me. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to protect you. And to prove it, go ahead and ask me for a sign. Ask me for a sign. Go ahead and test me. Ask me anything you want and I'll do it in order to prove to you that I'm on your side. Ahaz responded in mockery, far be it from me to ask a sign for Yahweh. But remember, Yahweh is the one who is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of your hearts. And so what Ahaz says sounds good. Like, you know, who am I to test God? But God knew his heart. And God turns around and says, Yahweh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the prophecy, God says, though, that he's not giving that to Ahaz, but rather he's going to give that sign to the house of David, which extends it further than that moment. This is now going to be a prophecy that was going to happen later on because the house of David was going to go away or was going to appear to go away. But Yahweh was going to make a promise as he kept his promises to David that he would continue to keep it. And one day, as a, pro- as a proof of his faithfulness to the house of David, there would come a moment when a virgin would conceive. Many have wanted to discount that, that uh, prophecy by saying that it shouldn't be a virgin, that should be just a young maiden. But in the Hebrew, a young maiden is the word na'ara, and you can look this up and check it out. But there is the word alma, which is reflective of a veiled one. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8, there's a perfect verse to explain to you what alma means. And it says in Solomon chapter 6, verse 8, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines. Clearly, those aren't almost 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. The virgins are the almas. No na'aras there, just virgins. As David read earlier, this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. And we read it then in Matthew chapter 1, where the angel declares it to to Joseph, telling him that they're going to name the baby 
Jesus. And as they then make this promise to him, he says to him, he says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Yahashua literally means Yahweh saves. That's Jesus' name in, the, in Hebrew, Yahashua. So Jehovah, Shua saves. Yahweh saves. And then he says, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by, I think, Yahweh, not just Adonai, but Yahweh through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So if this is going to be fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, who must Jesus be? God with us. Then Joseph, being just being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of Yahweh commanded him, and he took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Yahashua, Jesus. Yahweh saves, knowing that it was a fulfillment of the prophecy given to Isaiah, spoken to the house of David, that one day an Alma would conceive. This was before he what? Knew his wife, his betrothed, before he knew Mary. She was still a virgin. Do you understand? Why is that important? Before we get into the, the importance of the incarnation here. Why is it important that when Messiah came, God incarnate came, he would be born of a virgin? The sin nature. Man, Joseph, never had a part. We're told in the book of Romans that sin is passed down through the man. This child who would be born would be sinless. He was going to be our sacrifice. He was going to be the payment for sin. And the only payment of sin that you could have would be a perfect sacrifice. And so if Joseph, the earthly Joseph, would have been his earthly father for real, he wouldn't have been sinless. That's exactly right. And so a virgin had to conceive in order for God to become incarnate without sin in the world in order to pay your sins and my sins. And so involved then in that prophecy that we have from Isaiah chapter 9 that we've been looking at in verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Peleoites, wonderful counselor, Al-Gibor, the mighty God, Aviad, the progenitor, the father of eternity, the Sar Shalom, the prince of peace. In the context of that, we begin in Isaiah 9, verse 1 and 2, where we're told that a light was going to come, it was going to pierce the darkness, if you would. That the people who walked in darkness will see a what? A great light, a great light. And so Jesus came to, this, to the earth, incarnate presence on the earth, in order to fulfill again this prophecy. Again, a whole string of prophecies, Isaiah 7 through Isaiah 12. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shone. Well, John 3.16, where we told, we're told again, as Chuck, you mentioned again this morning about this son who's going to be given, we're told the importance of this light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, just as we read about in Isaiah 9, verse 6, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to do what? Condemn the world. Why did he send him? In order that all through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Get this. God didn't condemn man. God doesn't condemn man. Eventually, the condemnation of man falls where? On man. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Light has pierced the darkness. Light has come to those who were walking in darkness. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. I don't know why you're here tonight. I don't know why that you're here because you want to worship God or because this is a good tradition in our culture to come to a Christmas Eve service. I went to Christmas Eve service every, all the time. I wasn't saved. It was just tradition. I loved it. In fact, we had ours at 11 o'clock at night so that when it was over, it was midnight. So it was Christmas. And as a kid, that was a lot of fun because you got to stay up really late and then open up a present when you're going home. But I didn't go all those years in order to worship God. I didn't go all those years because I knew the light. I went because of tradition. People don't come to the light because they rather have the, the darkness. They won't come to the light lest their evil deeds would be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may have been done in God. If you know God, if you know God, not just about God, but if you know God, you want the light. You don't want to walk in darkness. And so 1 John chapter 1 says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So I just want to challenge you just a little bit. I mean, I know this kind of rocks the boat, you know, like for a Christmas Eve thing, right? But here's the deal. We celebrate the great gift tonight and tomorrow. Well, what a bummer if you've never ever received a gift. That's why we're here. God has offered you the most fabulous gift. It's himself. That's why he came. The Paleoites, the Aligabor, the Aviad, Tsar Shalom, Yahweh, Sabaoth, 
Yahweh incarnate came to the earth to be the penalty of your sins. That's what we celebrate. Those who walked in darkness, that's every single one of us, that's everyone in the world, have the chance to see a great light. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But men would rather have darkness than light. If you're here tonight, and that's you, this could be the best Christmas present you ever received in your whole life. Call, call upon the name of the Lord, as Chuck said this morning, and be saved. John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus declared he was that light. He was the Messiah. He was Yahweh incarnate. He was the one who was to come. But it gets better than that. See, because that's a great gift. That's a fabulous gift. That's a wonderful gift that, that the virgin conceived, brought forth a son. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us, bringing light into the world, right? But it gets better than that. So you ask yourself the question, how could it get what? Any better than that? Because now it's not just incarnate in the world, but now it's indwelling presence in believers. Once you know Jesus as your Savior, once you accept him as your Savior, we're told in God's word that he comes to live inside you. And not just Jesus, but the whole entirety that God had comes to live inside you. The Father, Son. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at that just real quickly. But do you realize that beginning here in John 14, Jesus says, look at this. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may, he may abide with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, in you, in me, in I, in you. He keeps going on. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 1 Corinthians 6, 19 is where we talk about that we're temples of God, the Spirit of God dwelling in us. You can see that in both of those. And then in Matthew 5, 14, we're told that we're, the, we're like lights of the world, that a city that is set upon a hill, um, cannot, their light cannot be hidden, nor do they put a light on the lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. He says, therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Because we are the indwelling place of God. And so Galatians uh, 2, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. Because Christ is living in me, because the Holy Spirit is living in me, because the Father even takes up residence in me. That's mind-boggling to me. I mean, remember when we talked about the aviad, the progenitor of eternity, you know, taking up dwelling as zygote? That's pretty mind-boggling. But now to think about that he's indwelling every single one of you who believe, that's even more mind-boggling, isn't it? But in Philippians chapter 2 then, it says, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you what? Shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Jesus Christ came into the world to be the light of the world. 
so that people who are walking in darkness will be able to see a great light. Outside, it's what? It's dark. Mark, if you want to turn off that light back there or somebody back there, you want to do that for me? Thank you. And so this one's going to light us up just a little bit and for a little bit, for a moment. If that wasn't on, in fact, I can do this. We have technology. You can just blank it for a moment. I'm going to beat you to it. <laughs> Did I? I think I won. Anyway, <laughs> mine is just the easy button. This is darkness. This is light. And it's amazing how much a little bit of light works the darkness. And we talked about this a little bit at the men's breakfast a couple weeks ago, about having ranger eyes. If you're, um, if you're in the military and you have these little ranger eye buttons on the back of your, your um, hat, and so you'd have just a little bit of light going out because you don't want the enemy to see you, but you'd be able to see the guy in front of you. And it's just a re- little reflection. Well, that's you and me. We're reflections of the great light. We are called upon to be reflectors, if you would, of the incarnate presence of God. If Jesus is living inside of you, he's going to start exuding through you. And people are going to start seeing not you, but the light. Because if they saw you, think about it, before you knew Jesus, what were you? Darkness. You were darkness. You were adding to the darkness. You were making the darkness even what? Darker. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? But when Jesus Christ came to reside in you, he brought his light to be in you. And he who began the good work in you is continuing to perform it to the day of Christ. And if he is light... What do you think he's conforming you into? His image, yes, which is what, Jimmy? Light. And so, as that light begins to grow, as that light begins to burn, okay, we tip the unlit candle into the lit candle. We don't tip the lit candle, right? Okay? And so, as we begin to tell other people about Jesus Christ, as we begin to share our light with other people, the light should continue to get greater and greater. Sadly, as believers, we put our lamp, we put our lamp, we put our light under that lampstand that we're told not to do it. Okay, go straight up now. And so I think to myself, what has happened in our world where the darkness is growing greater and greater all the time. Is it that the church has decided to hide its light? As Chuck shared this morning, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be a good cheer, for I have overcome the world. 
John 1 says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness comprehends it not. And then he continues on talking about that those who will receive him have the privilege of becoming children of God. To many as receive him. Any more back here? Okay. So I want to ask you as a challenge. Have you ever truly received the gift of his incarnate presence? It's a big deal to me. One day we're going to stand there before the throne of God. Have you ever confessed your need for a Savior from your sin, recognizing that you cannot save yourself, and that your works will never be good enough before the, the Holy God? How are you doing at being a reflection of his light to the world? Are you shining forth as a light in this crooked and perverse world, holding forth his word of life. And finally, as I always ask, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act?